Blog Talk Radio. As of the 1st of October 2019, in South Australia, a new law was passed that allows a public servant to enter, remain, inspect, or use reasonable force to break into any premise, place, vehicle or vessel. This public servant can remove items from the premises to be used as evidence in future, and a warrant is not required if there is a suspicion, just a suspicion, that a vulnerable adult is at risk of abuse. Matters will then be directed to a court or tribunal that is not bound by the rules of evidence, can determine matters as it thinks fit, and can reach an outcome, just, on the balance of probabilities, not beyond, reasonable doubt. Victims often, end up a ward of state. The public guardian and public trustee, are often placed, as the ultimate decision maker, and, take over all affairs. These laws, are expected to be rolled out in other states next year. Are you scared yet? Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us. We just heard from our sponsor Australia, out of Australia, ASCA, and we are so honored to have them as a sponsor. We also just heard the beautiful voice of Marty Oakley, who, for those who do not know, she passed away on April 1st of this year unexpectedly, and we were all here filling in for her and carrying on her legacy because she was an amazing woman, and we are just so excited to still be on her network, carrying her voice. Her mission next week is going to be the 13-year anniversary of this podcast being run. It has over 2,000 episodes that's been aired, and we are really excited. i got to bring on our guest, Amanda Blackwood, and we also have Angela Campbell from Wisconsin. And we are just so excited. We are going to not so much talk about guardianship tonight. We're going to do a little bit of talk about human trafficking. But the main subject is how do we recover when we see justice, we are denied justice, we feel victimized, our, our loved ones have been harmed, we have been harmed. How do we recover? How do we move, we move forward? This is the conversation that we're having tonight, and this is a conversation that I've had with people a lot in private, and we need to have this public conversation because there's a lot of hurting people out there. Amanda, we only have you for 30 minutes, but we are so excited to have you. You are a award-winning author. We are so excited to hear about that, and if you would please give us a quick summary and all the listeners about what you've gone through, how, what brought you to write all the books, and how you healed emotionally and physically from everything that you've been through. Please take it away, Amanda. Uh, first of all, I want to say a very uh, heartfelt thank you for having me here. I was heartbroken to hear of uh, Marty's passing. I also lost somebody on April 1st um, and was one of the first people that I was ever really comfortable with talking to about all of the stuff that I went through. So it was quite a loss. Um, very uh, kind of hit, pulled at the heartstrings here that we lost Marty on the same day. Um, yeah. My my abuse started out really early. So before I get into too much of that, I want to make sure that we have a very clear definition of an understanding of what human trafficking is. This isn't something you can really Google because Google has conflicting statements depending on what source it's drawing from. I like to go to the Department of Homeland Security. They define human trafficking as the use of force, fraud, or coercion to obtain labor or commercial sex acts from another person. So if you notice, there's no mention of transportation. There's no mention of necessarily money. There's no mention of age. So human smuggling, prostitution, underage sex, all of these things are major issues that all need to be addressed, but they are not all the same thing. It's very important to recognize that. So my life started out very tumultuous. I grew up in a military household. The first time I ever remember being molested, I was only four years old. It happened again at 12, 13, 14, 15. I was molested by an uncle, by a brother, by a total stranger in a parking lot, by another stranger in a swimming pool. Um, I was raped at 17 by somebody that I thought was my best friend. So having grown up in that kind of a just abusive, terrible environment, I learned how to 
manipulate the surroundings around me. People were going to take away what I called slices of my soul through rape and molestation unless I gave them away freely. So I learned how to use that as a young teenage runaway. I started running away at 15. By the time I was 18, I had given enough of myself away that I started dating a man who was more than twice my age and living with him because otherwise I would have been homeless. He offered me, as most manipulative people do, he offered me what it was that I was missing in my life. So I depended on him to fill these needs. One of them was love, what I thought was love, and the other was a roof over my head. He was the first person to traffic me. He basically loaned me out as kind of a party favor for his best friend's birthday party for a weekend. Um, I was trafficked three different times in my life. I didn't realize it until 2018, but this is the first time. And the first time this happened, I was locked up in a small room in Las Vegas, Nevada for, tw- for 52 hours. I was allowed to get room service once a day. I was not allowed to leave the room and did not have a key to get back in if I did. I would have been abandoned and homeless on the streets of Las Vegas. And I told myself at that point, I've been through worse. I can get through this. I just have to survive the next 52 hours and get back, and then I can leave. But that's a very dangerous mindset when we start telling ourselves, I've been through worse. I can get through this. It's dangerous when we tell it to ourselves. It's dangerous when we tell it to other people. And this comes up again later on in my story. I was able to get away from him as soon as I got back to where I had been living, Um, I was homeless. I slept on other people's couches for a while. Eventually, at the time I was living in in Arizona, I found my way out to Florida. My plan there was to stay with my dad's mother. Um, I needed a knee surgery at the time. It was kind of important that I get this done so I didn't have long-lasting health issues. I hopped on a Greyhound bus to get out there, and I ended up in Daytona Beach, Florida, at about 1030 at night in 1999. And I called my grandmother and told her that I was there to let them know that they could come and pick me up. And what I was met with instead was her husband, my dad's stepfather, answered the phone and said, we're not coming to pick you up. You're on your own. Good luck. I was left out there abandoned by my own family. I had a total of $5 in my pocket because it took everything I had to get there. What I didn't know at that time was that my parents had called my grandmother and told her she's running away from her problems again if you take her in we'll never speak to you again so there i was at the daytona beach bus station i'm crying my eyes out a young couple walks up and they find me and ask me what's going on i have no idea how they understood what i was trying to tell them through all the sobs (laughs) but i finally got it all out and this young couple told me we have a place you can come and stay with us for free until you get on your feet It wasn't until later I discovered that what they really meant was I could come and stay with them for free until they found the highest bidder. Because, again, here I found somebody who was willing to offer me what it was that I needed most in the moment, and I depended on them for that need. They sold me to a young man by the name of Esteban who locked me up for 23 and a half hours. And back in the 80s and 90s when I was growing up, there was this fabulous TV show on called MacGyver, and I absolutely loved this show, right? The man could fix anything with a roll of duct tape, a paper clip, and a rubber band. Yeah. And in this high-stress moment, I thought to myself, what would MacGyver do? And I somehow managed to MacGyver my way out of that situation. And when I took off running, this man was right behind me. He was chasing after me. I remember I was on foot, and he was right behind me in a car, and the first person that I saw was a police officer driving down the road in a car, and I tried to flag them down. It turned out to be a female officer, and as all of this was coming out of my mouth about what had just happened in the last 24 hours, I could see by the look on her face she had no idea what I was talking about and didn't know how to believe me. It seemed too unrealistic. But as I was talking to her and I had her stopped there, He was still coming after me, and he came down the street, and he saw that I was talking to a police officer. He immediately turned around, did an illegal U-turn, and she did see that, and she went after him. But I never followed up to figure out what had happened, to see if he got arrested, to see if they went, to see if there were other people there. I never went back, and I had this survivor's guilt for a long time. How do I deal with this? And I kind of talked it down in my soul. I wanted to get out of Florida 
and eventually I made my way out to California because that was as far as I could get away from Florida without breathing my butt off. <laughs> yeah. And in California, it was 2004 when internet dating first started becoming a thing. I was 24 years old. And I met this man who lived really, really far away, but we had decided that we were going to strike up this friendship. He had a life over uh, in another country, and I had a life here in the States, and I was really building up this life. I started acting. I was on Alias and Will and Grace, and I modeled for Heidi Davidson. I started doing all these really cool things because I felt this great emptiness inside of me, and I didn't know how to fill it up. I was filling it up with whatever I could, wherever I could except for drugs and alcohol. I was scared of those things because I had seen so much drug and alcohol abuse in my past. I didn't want to get involved with that. So I did all of this amazing stuff in Hollywood, and I left Hollywood and I pursued a career. I ended up working as a mall cop for a little while, and within five months I had busted open a major embezzlement ring and worked my way up in the ranks to taking over. I went from being the new person to being the director of public safety and security for six six different properties in LA County. And by the end of 2010, I had gotten an $11,000 a year raise. I had my own place, my own apartment. For the first time ever, I didn't have roommates. My name was on the lease. I had my own furniture, even if it was cheap stuff I found off the side of the road for the most part. I had built a life for myself. I had a car that I purchased by myself for the first time ever. I was 29 years old in 2009 when I got that job. By the time I was 30, at the end of that that year, I was really starting to see changes in my life. And I was feeling more fulfilled, but I still wanted more. I was looking for that love and acceptance that I had been looking for since I was four years old, and I couldn't find it anywhere I looked. And that man that I had known, we, I went over to go and visit him. He came over to visit me, and I fell in love with him. I fell in love with his daughter. I fell in love with the country of Scotland, all of these things. I come from Scottish heritage, very proud Scottish heritage. I've got red hair and blue eyes, and I really I just looked like I fit in there, even if I didn't sound like it, because I did not sound like those people. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, And I got all the way over there, and it took him seven years to get me there, and it took him seven days to start trafficking me. Oh, my God. It was devastating. Yeah. Yeah. I had no idea what I was going to do. You know, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life, if I still have a life. I tried to escape. I tried to commit suicide. I did everything I could trying to get out of the situation. I was... I'm trapped overseas, and he's got my, my passport. I have nothing to be able to get home with. I feel so stuck. And I remember the day that I was going to um, end my life, I walked down to a little church, and this church was built in the 1600s. It was gorgeous. There was a little cemetery right next door to it. One of the headstones in the cemetery, the rest of every bit of writing had been weather-worn off of the stone except for the year 1776. That's American independence from the English, right? That's kind of what I'm looking for, American independence from the U.K. at this point. (laughs) And I sat down in the churchyard, and I, I prayed, somebody please come find me. And nobody came. And after about an hour, I got up and I sat on the front steps of the church. The church was locked. It's very old and antique, so there wasn't anybody in there 24 hours a day. As I sat on the front steps, I prayed again, please send somebody. I need somebody to see me. And again, nobody came. And finally, I got up and I walked to the bus station, or the, the train station, and I was going to commit suicide by train. But as I was sitting there, a man with his little boy came out onto the platform And the little boy looked at me, and anybody could look at me. Not anybody could see me. And that child looked at me, and he saw me with eyes well beyond the years that he had. He was about four years old. And I knew in that moment that this little boy that that, that could see me, I could not do to him what had been done to me when I was four. I could not take away this little child's innocence the way it had been done to me. So I stopped what I was doing, 
and I got up and I went back to what was my prison. And on my way, I began to thank God for miracles not yet received. Because I knew that if he was going to keep me alive in that very dark moment, that my life was going to have more of an impact. I was going to go on and live and have something more than what had been my entire existence so far. God had a purpose for me still. I just didn't know what it was. I decided to really follow what it was that I was getting from God. And I had these these moments where I felt like he was speaking words into my brain as I was falling asleep at night. And I knew what I needed to do. And I started using psychology on this man. that made him believe that I had what we used to call Stockholm syndrome is now called trauma bonding. I made him believe that I was so bonded to him that I would do literally anything for him. I would give up my life for him. But my six-month visa was coming up to an end. And I told him one day, and I sat down with him, I said, you know, the day that we had set aside that we were supposed to get married has only come and gone. If I overstay my six months, I could get country forever, according to UK law, and never be allowed back even to visit. And you, my dear, you could lose your job as a police officer. The man who had been trafficking me was a police officer. The man I had known for seven years was a police officer. And I trusted him before all this. And he knew what trauma bonding was. He knew what Stockholm Syndrome was. And I had to be precise in what I was doing to be able to really get away with it. And I knew that. This was a dangerous game I was playing. But I knew I could do it. And at the end of this conversation, I told him, you know, rather than us getting in trouble, if you send me back, I can go live back in California for the next six months and then come back in six months just in time for Christmas, and it would be our first Christmas together. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? In two hours' time, I had round-trip tickets to get me back home. Ah. Wow. So then what happens when you get home? You obviously never went back again, but now you have a purpose. You know that you have a purpose. I didn't know that right away. As with most trauma survivors, most of us don't recognize that right away. The first thing we want to do is go into hiding. So that was what I did. But he found me. And every time I would get a new job, he would send photos and videos of me being raped to my boss. If he found out who my friends were, he would send the same material to my friends. I lost friends. I lost jobs. I lost my dignity and self-respect. I lost 78 pounds. I finally, in 2016, um, I was tired of being on the run. I had tried everything trying to get away from this guy. He'd even come over to the States looking for me and had my address off by one number, and I saw him bang on the neighbor's door. It scared wow. me. So I finally packed, I yeah. packed up a, a SUV, and I drove to Colorado in 2016, and I've been in Colorado ever since. But in 2019, I had something absolutely devastating happened. I found out that he had taken all those photos and those videos and he had put them up on a pornography website and was me, off of me. I couldn't believe it. I walked into a grocery store one day and while I was shopping, a man recognized me, asked me for my autograph, not because I was on Will and Grace or Alias or because I modeled for Harvey Davidson or any of the other cool things that I did in LA, but because he saw me being raped. It was absolutely devastating where the point I reached out to an anti-trafficking organization who immediately paired me up with a therapist who I traumatized. Uh, She left the industry, so they paired me up with a second therapist. This woman was great. Right off the bat, I told her, first, do not come at me with prescription medications because I don't want a Band-Aid. I want a shovel. And second, do not treat me like walk on eggshells or pull the punches. I want you to treat me like I'm a real human being because that's what I am. If I was going to break, I would have done it a long time ago. And we started digging in and doing this hard work. And what I didn't realize when they first paired me up with her was that she was a Christian. And because of that, she had training in being a Christian counselor. And it made such a huge difference to me to be able to be in a room with somebody who 
had a strong foundation in their faith. I knew who God was. I believed in God, but I didn't have that super strong foundation. I wasn't really somebody who ever got a chance to go to church very often as a kid. I was punished when I tried to go by myself. It was, I didn't really go as an adult trying to strike up a career and have a life of my own. That wasn't a part of my life. I needed this woman in my life, and she taught me so much about what it means to be able to understand the past and be able to forgive but not allow those people back into my life and how to forgive without receiving that apology. That was when I dug deep, found my voice, and wrote my autobiography. And if I hadn't done all of that work, writing out about the paint to express myself and going through this massive amount of therapy, including EMDR and tapping techniques, I would not have found the lion in my lungs that was aching to get out, to tell my story, to stand up for myself. Wow. Oh, my gosh. You're incredible. How many <laughs> books have you written now? Oh, my. I'm just, like, mind blown. Like, you, you, <laughs> speechless. Angela, what do you have to say? So inspirational. So inspirational. And, yes, what you have been through and the strength that you have had, I think that inner strength of God had, you know, kept you and guided and directed you, even though you didn't know it at the time, but he was always there for you, guiding and directing you and giving you strength. Absolutely. So one of my favorite Bible verses is one that I very rarely ever hear anybody say, and it's Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. It doesn't matter what we're going through in life. The reason that we are able to go through these hard times is because we were given free will, because we were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. We do not live in paradise right now. This is not the end of the line for us. But if we trust in God, he will be with us and he will guide us and strengthen us and help us through these times. We just have to understand that our strength comes from him, not from what we've heard our whole lives, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Those people and those situations do not make us stronger. They don't deserve the credit for making us stronger. He does. Yeah. I have a verse. It's, this is a paraphrase. It's Genesis chapter 50. What Satan intended for evil, God intended for good. And that's the story when Joseph was thrown in the pit. And I think about all the terrible things that have happened in my life. And and actually, like, God means them for good. The beautiful friends that I've made because my loved one was murdered in guardianship. And, I, I, I mean, it's just been... There's been a lot, it's a terrible, terrible thing that's happened, but so many wonderful things have happened too. And I know that's what, you know, Angela and I are going to talk more about, but Amanda, you have opened the door to this conversation that is so needed for our listeners to know that we, we're not going to stay victims forever and things might not, things not might not go our way and we might not ever see justice. The criminals may continue to win. There's still a purpose in it. What do you guys think? Absolutely. I, you know, I look back now and I learned a few years ago that less than 2%, 2% of all victims of human trafficking survive. And that's, a, that's an incredible number. That is absolutely insane. The fact that I'm still alive is not just a miracle because I didn't commit suicide, but a miracle because I got through all of this stuff. God kept me alive. But God also gave me that voice. And if it hadn't been me, every time somebody ever says that they're sorry for this happening to me, I always tell them I'm not. Because if it had, happened, if it had not happened to me, it would have been somebody else, and they would not have survived. They wouldn't have that voice. They wouldn't be able to speak up. Wow. Yeah. Um, that That's mind-blowing. And it, it 
it makes me feel like a conviction that when I complain about what's happened in my family that I need to, you know, I feel so sad for what happened, but I need to realize that, you know, for I went through it so someone else didn't. Angela, what do you think about that? That's mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing, and I just feel like, you know, we do. God has a has a reason for all of us. I mean, we we all have a purpose and a reason for what we go through and what um, God plans for our lives. And we don't understand at times why we go through certain things, but it all happens in it um, in His in His plan and what He um, what He knows that we don't know. And he knew, Amanda, that you were going to be able to survive this and that you had the strength to do this and that you had a voice that was strong to be able to tell others, look, there, there's, there's a better plan. There's, there's hope. And a lot of people that are going through this don't have that hope. And you are the voice of that hope, and God is speaking through you. And, it, you know, something that looks so ugly, it looks so ugly, all that you went through is just, you know, it's, it made me speechless. I feel very speechless in all that you went through. But yet God turned it around to be beautiful. And he has a way of doing that, you know, a way of turning a situation that we think will never change and will only end up worse. But he has a way of turning it around and making something so wonderful out of it. And it's only through God. Because only through God can you forgive those people. Only through God can you um, go on and tell your story. So it's it's really powerful. You can tell the power of God through your life, through your voice, through your convictions. It's really um, quite amazing and astounding. Thank you. Psalm 50, um, verse 15 says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. That is the story of my life. I was in so much trouble for the first 38 years of my life. On my 39th year, I finally hit my knees and said, God, I don't know how I'm going to survive this. This last attack, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And he delivered me, and now I speak in churches. I do glorify his name. Amen. This this is so amazing. Like, no child should have gone through what you did but it, it's what made you who you are if you didn't go through these things. I've often thought it's like we're, oh, I can't remember the verse of it, it's basically like we're a tool and he throws us in the fire to forge us. And to forge a tool, you beat it while it's in fire and it comes out as something useful and beautiful. And really, I've often thought I am the person I am today for everything that I've gone through, both good and both bad. And that's, and that's all of us, but that's so you, Amanda, because this, you were born into this abuse and to come out the other end beautiful and inspiring is, is um, it's an honor to have you on tonight just to hear this story. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Thank you. Now, the best part of my story, the month after my, yeah. my autobiography was published, very next month, when I met my husband, who happens to be the audio engineer for our church. Oh. Mm. <laughs> How long have you been married now? Our wedding was January 26th of last year, so about a year and a half now. Oh, my wow. goodness. You know, I do wedding cakes. I do wedding cakes, so I'm, I'm, in, I'm in weddings every weekend doing weddings. I love weddings. <laughs> wow. Oh my goodness! Well, you have a cookbook. You have a um, a survivor cookbook too. When I'm sitting here saying I do weddings, what's in your cookbook? Um, 
basically when I was trying to recover from everything, I learned that creative outlets were going to be the most helpful way to do this. And cooking became a huge passion for me early on. I learned how to cook out of self-defense. My mother hated cooking. She was not a great cook. Um, <laughs> so I learned how to cook as a necessary uh, need for my own survival. But later on, it became this: I had a sense of a need for control, which is a trauma reaction. And in cooking, I could control how much sugar or flour or milk I put into a recipe. And that sense of control helped me to reorganize my thoughts. So these are a lot of my favorite recipes. There's some weight loss recipes. There's some weight gain recipes. Um, I've been to <laughs> both ends of the spectrum, and all of it is important to me. So it's, it's all about just having fun in the kitchen, finding flavors that you like, and feeding it the people that you love. I love that. I am definitely getting that cookbook. I have a cookbook addiction. And um, when my kids were little, this was before, you know, Internet, we'd go to the parks and I would just sit and read the cookbooks. I read all the forewords in the cookbooks. I love cookbooks. I have way too many cookbooks. But you know what? When I need a recipe, I know exactly which cookbook it is in. And, yeah, I've been in the restaurant industry for over 40 years, and I right now I'm a professional pastry chef. So I just, oh, you're talking my language. But I think you, you hit on something that you need to find an outlet, that there's the trauma, and then you found something. And it really is so, it, it really is so true. Angela, like, I feel like this is an aha moment. What do you feel about going through all this? Do you have a... But, um, a hobby or something that you do that can take your mind off of things. You know, with the hobbies, <laughs> I'm kind of, I love the cooking too. I, you know, talking about the cooking and looking through recipes or something about that, that, you know, is really quite, quite fun to do. You know, you could spend hours just looking through different recipes. That's very, um, you know that's very inspiring. You know, I like I like exercise. I like to be able to you know get my mind and just being able to walk and just be out in nature and be able to you know feel God's God's nature and His love and you know how He you know how He puts all His beauty in nature and that to me is really quite um, therapeutic. Especially if, like, if I've been through, you know, we've all been through the court abuse. If I've been through some yeah. of that court abuse, the best thing I can do is just go out and walk and, you know, try to put my energy in walking. And that seems to help a lot. But another thing yeah. that really is that us talking us being able to talk through this, us being able to get together and say, look, I went through this and I went through that. And it, it's just very therapeutic to be able to express all that pain and all that hurt and be able to have someone understand that. It's, it's very yeah. healing to be able to know that someone has maybe gone through some of that or they can understand how that pain feels because the pain is very deep. And Amanda, I'm sure your pain is very deep. You've been able to work through that with people loving and surrounding you with their, with their support, their encouragement, and their understanding. And that is very healing. The therapy was definitely a huge help for me. That was really, um, that and I had a support network of other survivors of human trafficking that I was a member of at the time. That was basically the only support network I had. I didn't have any family. I had very few friends. And I hadn't met yet my husband. So out of everything, I think probably the greatest, the, the greatest gain I ever had was meeting him. Oh, that's so awesome. God had a great plan, and wow, I'm so happy for you. And you're just, I wish everyone could be as happy and 
How many books have you written now, and what are some of the topics? A total of 13 books. Uh, my wow. most recent came out on June 1st, and this is all since 2018. Um, my autobiography is called Custom Justice, and all of my books are available from Barnes & Noble. Wow. And I have the link, I have uh, my, a link that you gave me in the, the promo <laughs> that people can go back. Wow. Is it hard to, I mean, sometimes there's a lot of listeners that we think about, like, maybe we'll write a book about what we're going through. Is it hard to write the book and to get it published? Or I mean, I can't even imagine how I would start a process like that. It can be very hard. I mean, I... I've been basically a writer my whole life. It was uh, journaling was a great way for me to figure out how to deal with my emotions and stuff. Um, but having gone through all the therapy and everything, I wasn't even ready to start writing my book until after I had finished my therapy. And my therapist asked me in November of 2020, so why don't think there's much I can do to help you from here? What are you going to do to help you? And I told her I was going to write my book. She said, I'll check in with you in January. <laughs> she checked in with me in January. The book was done. And she asked me what I was going to do next. Wow. I said, I don't know. And she said, try painting. I told her, I said, I don't know how to paint. Everything I've ever painted has looked like a multicolored snowman with three big globs. I'm not good at painting. <laughs> so she sent somebody over with uh, paintbrushes and canvases and paints. Within three months, I sold my first work of art back to the anti-trafficking organization that paired me up with a therapist in the first place. They were making prints of it to sell so that they could make enough money to pay for other survivors to go through therapy as well. And within five months, oh I had gosh. painted a piece for an anti-trafficking home for survivors uh, in Chicago, Illinois. It was unveiled the same month that my book, my autobiography, was released in June of 2021 on my 10-year anniversary of freedom. So the Chicago Tribune wrote an article about me, and things kind of spiraled from there. So there's a lot of God was in the details. Oh, my gosh, yes. Wow. Yeah. I feel that some um, of the, and I know that you have to leave us soon. Um, I feel that some of the things that I feel that I've taken away, and I know An Angela and I will continue to talk about it, finding something to do like the hobby, the cooking, the painting, I think that's really something important that we need to be talking about, those of us who are enduring these abusive guardianships right now, that we can, we need, to, because we have, I mean, we're all kind of messed up here, including myself, and we we need to find that other focus. And this is something that I never really thought of need, that we needed to have a discussion about, but we so need to have a discussion about it. What are some other things that you would recommend people who are traumatized? What are some things that they should be doing in their life that could help? Do you have any ideas? Research. Absolutely. Research what trauma is. I'm actually in the middle of writing a trauma recovery mentorship series and workbook series. The first book is about recognizing what stage of trauma you're in. It's so important. People can do this on their own. There's plenty of resources out there. They don't have to buy my book to do it. Uh, but recognizing what stage of trauma they're in is first. That's key because you can help yourself to move beyond that and through it. But then also researching what trauma reactions are. And um, sorry, there's a... a door beats going off. <laughs> but recognizing what, what, your, what your specific trauma reactions are, understanding what the long-term consequences are of not fighting back against those, and learning better coping mechanisms to catch yourself when you do find yourself reacting to these traumas on what you can do to retrain your brain. This helps in so many ways to move us from that victim mentality into the survivor mentality and eventually into becoming a thriver. It's important to understand why we do the things we do and how to understand what it is that we can do to make them better. We do have this control. And this is not an easy journey, but it's absolutely worth it. Remember when I said something about I told my therapist, don't give me a Band-Aid, I need a shovel. I needed a shovel yes. to dig to the root of what the problems were. And it's important for every single one of us to recognize Band-Aids aren't going to get it done. We need those shovels and we need to learn how to dig deep to make it happen. 
Can I ask, did you have, um, did you deal with your fear? Did you have fear? Did you have fear that this man would come back into your life? Did you have fear that he, you know, would, you know, do something that would cause you to go back into this kind of a situation? Oh, constantly. Every Mm -hmm. single day of my life for years. But when I learned to speak up, I started to wonder if maybe I hadn't scared him because now he was going to be recognizable too. If he attacked me at any point, he would be absolutely recognizable. People would know who it was. People would know why he had done it. And I started Mm -hmm. to realize he's not going to come after me anymore because I have made him more afraid of me than I've ever been of him. I love that. (laughs) What would be your suggestion for someone that, you know, because as we go into these courts and the courts are taking our loved ones away, that is one thing they like to do. They like to, you know, um, they like to put us in fear. They like us to, you know, fear that they are so powerful that they will do something. I know some of the advocates have now gone to jail and are dealing with that. You know, so they do like to put us in that fear. What would you suggest? to continue to expose them, would you say? Absolutely, and record as much as possible. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's important to make sure that if you have a negative interaction with somebody who's been abusive and threatening you, you have to have proof of that in some way. I know that a lot of this stuff, if you're recording a uh, phone conversation, is not admissible in court, but it absolutely can be enough to be able to get you a restraining order or to start changing something. Good advice. Good advice. I have yeah. a little that kind of reminds me of you, and it, it, it just says, the humble will be filled with fresh joy from the Lord, and those who are poor will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Those who intimidate and harass will be gone, and all those who plot evil will be killed. You know, it's just, it's you know, the Lord does take care of us, and he does put us under his wing. And it just kind of reminded me of you. He has, you know, taken your situation and given you that fresh joy. And I can hear the joy in your voice. Absolutely. He has done so much to transform my life. I will never not be grateful in any given moment. I wake up, I wake up every single day grateful that I'm alive. I'm still here. I made it. And that's only because of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Believe Beautiful. Not, way, we are in the car and on our way to a baptism. My niece is getting baptized today. Well, we are so we are so excited that you were able to join us. This has been so amazing. Uh, we hope that you'll listen to the rest of it. Angela and I are going to take what we have learned and just talk about it, and we will open the lines up for calls if anyone wants to call in. And we hope that you can come back another time, and we look forward to buying your books. And it was so lovely meeting you. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for coming on tonight. <laughs> Thank you both so much. This was a lot of fun. You have a nice evening. Oh, we appreciate you. You have a nice evening. Bye bye. Bye. Oh my goodness, Angela, is your mind blown? It it is. It is. Like I had said before, it leaves you speechless. All that she went through and the strength that she has. And, you know, it's so encouraging, though, you know, to hear her story and to know that she, you know, came to all of this. It's it's inspiring. It's encouraging. And, you know, it just, it shows us that the Lord has not left us. He stays right by our side. So many times when we get discouraged, we think, um, oh, you know, I don't hear the Lord so strong in, in my life right now, but yet he's there. He's there, and he, he sees everything. He turns the situation I, around. 
Yeah, I feel that we needed to do this show, and you know, we're not we're not gonna you know turn into the church hour every weekend or anything. But I just feel like we needed it because I've talked to so many people, and I'm not gonna name names, you know, for their privacy, but so many people, and there's a lot of Christians out there, and even other faiths, and and they just wonder how is God allowing this to happen? Why? Why do these guardians and attorneys and judges, why do they keep getting the victory? They're living their best lives, and they're getting the victory all the time. And it really is a crisis of faith. And there are, I know right now, there are people listening, and you are having a crisis of faith because this is what's being done to you and being done to your family is pure evil. And I don't have the answers on why that is. But what was done to Amanda as a four-year-old is pure evil. And and it, it turned out okay. But, I mean, I don't even know, Angela, because we've been through it. And we've, we've had that crisis of faith. What can we, like, I feel like that's the discussion, crisis of faith. How do we go on and how do we know that, that there will be a victory? And, it, it, and I always feel sometimes people will say, like, oh, well, you know, when everyone dies and they, you know, they're going to go to hell and it will be bad for them and stuff. But you know what? That's, that, that's not what I want. That's not, you know, you just want justice and you want it in this life. What do you feel about that, Angela? Yes, you do. You want justice. You don't want, you don't want to take revenge or anything on these people. Well, You know, I'm sure we're human. You know, what they do to us is so painful. Um, I went through a situation where lies in my family were told about me, and people believed it, and it was all lies. But yet I never wanted to, you know, talk bad about that person, or I didn't want to bring it up. I, I always kept saying, no, Lord, you take care of it. I don't want to do it because if I do it, I'm going to mess it up. And so, you know, the Lord turned it around. The Lord gave that justice. But the justice, I didn't want the kind of justice that did happen. But the Lord knows what kind of justice is going to happen in that situation. And I had to leave it in his hands. I, you know... It, it it humbled me so much, and yet he knows the per plan. So those that are being discouraged today just know that it will turn around, and it will um, it will come out that you are the one that is you know speaking the truth, and you are the one that is doing the right thing. And you just have to hold on to that. And the Lord will turn it around. Um, you know, you, you, we see that injustice in our courts. And the Lord said, you know, woe to the unjust just, um, judges and to those who issue unfair laws. You know, he says that there will be no justice for them, you know, in the end, that they they turn against the poor and the widows and the orphans that's that's not going to happen you know for a lifetime there will be a time when the lord does turn that to um a situation where he protects his um his children and that's kind of a a scenario so i just wanted to give you encourage that just to hold on until that um, happens, you will yeah. see it. Don't lose, don't lose, um, don't lose hope in the darkness. Yeah, and we're so many of us are in the darkness, and it's so hard to be encouraged. It's so hard to. It's really. I mean, we're right there with everyone. Like it is really hard to watch these evil people get the victory, and they're living their best lives. It's really hard. And if you're listening to this and you're having a crisis of faith, 
hang on to your faith. I really believe that Amanda was a perfect picture. And you know what? I have to say, when I booked her as a guest, I had no idea that this was the direction that we were going to go basically doing church on TS Radio Network. I, I didn't, but I just feel it was probably meant to happen because there's so many hurting people and there's such a crisis of faith, including including my own. You just watch. They win. They win. They win. But they're not going to always win. They're just not going to always win. And I really believe that Amanda was just the perfect story to encourage us that we, I mean, she was at the end. She was ready to jump in front of that train. And, I mean, it. it's like you almost have to go to the very end of your rope before anything turns around. And we're still not quite at the end of the rope, I guess. What do you think, Angela? I mean, and anyone who wants to call in and ask a question, just hit number one and we can have this discussion because I guess we had to have it. It was time. Yes, I think it was. It was time to have this discussion. And, you know, the, that is the only thing that really can pull you through. Um, I lost my daughter and my husband in a car accident. I was, you know, injured so bad they didn't. They gave me a 1% chance of living. And oh it was God. only through the grace of God who, you know, I leaned on to get me through. I would not have wanted to, you know, survive. There were days that I literally... It was painful to even take the next breath. I didn't even want to take the next breath. But, oh. the, you know, Lord just sustained. He sustained, and I was able to, you know, make it through. And then you it's, had your mother murdered. Yes. I mean, I don't think people understand. This is not, Angela speaks from, oh, not just guardianship and having her beautiful mother murdered, but to lose her husband and her daughter in a catastrophic car accident and herself to almost die. Like, Angela, you are always an encouragement to everybody, and you have been through so much. And I don't think that everyone would ever even realize it because you really are such a beautiful picture. I still remember when I first met you, and it's all because of guardianship that we even know each other. I remember you came to my bakery, and we just hit it off so well, and I I had no idea everything that you have been through at that time when I met you, but I remembered feeling so encouraged just being in your presence, and that was during the time when you were fighting for your mother. I just thank you for that, and I just... I just want to be an encouragement to other people that you are going through your darkest time and that, I mean, I feel, Angela, you can say it best, that it's going to be okay. You're going to get through it. And it's going to be hard, but you Mm -hmm. can do it. It's not Um, an easy but you can make it through, you know, just holding tight and holding on to that faith that, you know, just that it will be okay, that it is, it, it is, you know, planned and um, there are reasons and, and that um, this isn't, you know, life, there, there is meaning behind life. It's not just that we're here for no reason at all, but we do have, we do have a purpose. We do have a plan that sometimes we don't understand, but we have to sometimes Sometimes you have to just, you know, just kind of put it in that faith kind of situation like, okay, I don't understand this, but I'm going to lean onto that faith and that that faith in God knows better than what I do. And I'm going to let him handle this. I've had to do that so many times in my life. Um, even with my mother, not being able to see my mother, seeing her go through such abuse when she has, you know, um, a black eye or she's got scratches all over her or she has to go to the emergency room because she has a swollen um, jaw or she's isolated and she's begging for you to stay and you can't stay, you can, you have to leave, otherwise the 
police are going to escort you out. And she has tears in your eyes, and she wants, she's looking at you with these eyes. And, you know, she protects you all your life, and then you can't protect her. There's not a worse feeling than that, that you are, you know, you're, you feel so helpless. And so you feel so guilty for not being able to take her in your arms and, and care for her. Oh, it's it's one of the most evil. I mean, it's it's up there at the top of the evil of what these judges and guardians and I mean, there's just sociopaths. Then they enjoy the pain that they are inflicting on us, and we just have to realize that someday it all gets sorted out. And yeah, I get it. That's a consolation prize right now in the here and now because I hate hearing that too. We want to see justice, but you know what is really what I've had to do, and this really sucks, I have had to actually, when I just have that pit of hatred in my gut, I have to stop and I have to actually pray for these people who have done harm to me and my family. And then it does release. Um, So, yeah, Otholes, I have prayed for you. Um, That's a hard hard place to get to. It's a very hard place to get to. It is, but you so, know, once you do that, it kind of frees you. Once you get to that point, it is very hard to come to that point. Yeah. But come to that point, and it's amazing how the Lord will turn that around. The person that, you know, had spread many lies and hurt me so deeply, and then I had to watch them go through so much pain, but yet I was the one that stayed with them night and day while they were going through such agony, and I prayed for them. And there there wasn't, uh, you know, it it does something to your soul. It's, it's like something you don't, you can't really understand, but it is. It is a, a beautiful thing, and you start to love that person deeper than you even realize you can love them. But that's only through. Yeah, yeah. and, you know, um, wow, this has been a deep show, and I think we're going to um, kind of cut it off at an at an hour. Um, wow. I never thought that doing a podcast, I mean, I, yeah, we went to church today, Amanda was amazing. I hope she enjoyed us. Angela, you are amazing. Um, real quick before we before we head out, did you have any last parting words? And maybe do you have that that poem that you wrote that you read at Marty's at Marty's memorial service that you could read the poem to like lead us out? I don't know if it's handy. I didn't ask you ahead of time. Um, I think it probably would take me a little bit to look it up. I'm so sorry. It. I don't know. We're gonna. I just remember how beautiful it was. So anyway, next week I gotta let everyone know. Next week is the one is the 13 year anniversary of TS Radio Network and Marty Oakley's show. And I did air the first episode that she ever did. I put it on um like I did a Throwback Thursday, and I did that was that two weeks ago. And I'm hoping to do a few more of those. And Marsha's doing some of her shows so that we can get those. Not all of our shows loaded up into iTunes and Spotify. It was just the past 300, and there are over 2,000 shows that are archived here on Blog Talk. So we are going to hopefully get a few more of those spicy Marty shows. And you know what? They're still relevant. Even 13 years ago, the wisdom that Marty had and that she spoke about, it's, it's still relevant, and I just love listening to them. So next week... Our guest is going to be none other than Liz Rizzo. If everyone remembers Liz, she has been on the show, and I had the honor to be on the show with Marty two times when she had interviewed Liz. And Liz is really good friends with Rusty Warren. Now, Rusty Warren is like old Hollywood. Now, she has passed away since the last show, And Liz is going to give us an update on Rusty Warren, and she is now at peace. And we're also going to do a little bit of a memorial service for Rusty Warren and for Marty Oakley because Liz and I wouldn't know each other if it wasn't for those two. 
So I think that it's going to be a really fun celebration story. If you go, this is going to be the first time ever. If you go to TikTok and Google Rusty Warren, there is a TikTok account with 133,000 followers. And this show is going to be streaming live on TikTok for all the followers. So we are going to be so excited to be celebrating the life of Rusty Warren with Liz Rizzo next week. And we also always will be celebrating the life of Marty Oakley, who has been such an influence on all of us. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Our shows are brought to you by ASGA, the Australian Association to Stop Guardianship Abuse and Administrative Abuse, NASCA, National Association to Stop Guardianship Abuse, Shenanigans in the Montgomery County Facebook page, and lastly, Marcel Reed and the Whistleblower Summit. And the Whistleblower Summit is going to be happening on Saturday, July 29th, and Marty Oakley's panel. We were able to fill the panel, so we will be testifying on guardianship. And we are very honored to be to even be considered to fill the shoes of Marty Oakley. So we're very excited about that. Any last parting thoughts, Angela, before we we uh, go back to the rest of our evening? It sounds like amazing show next week, and then it was amazing show this, this week. Because um, you do a beautiful job. Marty is very proud. Oh, my gosh. And, and Angela, thank you for coming on as my last-minute guest for everyone listening. Angela and I have become really good friends, and it's only because something bad happened to our family members in guardianship. And when we knew that something had come up for Amanda and she wasn't going to be able to stay on for the whole time, I called Angela, and I'm like, Angela, is there any way that you could come on and, be, you know, kind of, keep us going because we only thought we were going to have Amanda for 30 minutes. And I feel like the show just led to be a really fun show and I feel inspired. So thank you, Angela, for being just one of my dearest, best friends and for coming through and helping me to keep spreading Marty's message and coming on with no notice to help me finish off the show so that Amanda could go to do her the baptism and um wow what a what a night i hope everyone was in, as encouraged as myself and angela were and thank you so much and good night everybody good night everybody it was an honor thank you cause thank you